everyone, and welcome back to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today, I will be talking about the second episode of Riverdale Season 7, Skip, Hop, and Thump. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski, and I am joined by no one today, just myself. But don't worry, Kirsten, Hannah, listeners out there, no gimmicks this time, no talking to myself, nothing like that, I promise, mostly. No, I'm kidding. It's it's just going to be me. Just me today. Kirsten, unfortunately, couldn't be here tonight with me, but we're going to have some fun breaking down the episode. It's probably going to be a short one since it's just me and also it was a pretty straightforward episode so nothing nothing too dramatic here to get into but I thought it was pretty fun. Had a couple interesting thoughts uh, from some listeners that I want to get into and I think you know I think we'll just we'll just break it down just talk about it and have a nice time. So this is our first episode in what I'm thinking of now as like the new Riverdale the new format of Riverdale. This is the reimagined show the reimagined world based on the 50s with no longer any influences from present day, from Tabitha, aka the Riverdale Angel. Nobody in this world has any memory of anything from season one through six of Riverdale. And I don't know if this is just going to be the way things are at this point or if this is going to turn back. I do hope that we're going to probably recorrect things at some point. Point and and kind of get things back going the direction that they were back in the present day. But for now, I gotta say I'm kind of happy just to live in this sort of new world. This this makes me feel like this is a way that Riverdale could have been, right? Like you could imagine that season one could have taken place in the 50s and that this could have been what we got. Like I think the way that they have reimagined some characters, we're gonna see there's several new and returning actors this season and a lot of this feels like it feels like season one all over again but but different and I don't know if if anyone else out there is just kind of (laughs) taking it right now like blissfully enjoying it because it's fun like I, I think that at this point we're getting insights into the characters that I don't I don't think it's like Rivervale where we had extreme or out of character moments with so many people. I think this is this is in character. It's just a sort of different version of the character. It's what if the characters were the same but had slightly different tweaks to their lives, right? Like Cheryl is kind of the most um prominent one here. It's like what what if Cheryl lived in a world where she didn't have the uh, exact same social influences around her that she has in present day, you know, in the 2020s. And then instead, she's living in the 1950s where things are extremely different, especially for uh, people in the LGBTQ community. And how would that affect her personality? Um, and so I think that that, you know, that's pretty interesting. We're seeing that with most characters. We're seeing Betty, obviously, <laughs> sort of, it's sort of like the hints of uh, it's not really Dark Betty because Dark Betty had m- way more to do with this like serial killer murderer side of her, right? Where this is more of the, uh, I'd say fan fiction version of Dark Betty where it was more about like a sexual awakening. And so we're definitely getting that from from her side as well. Uh, but let's let's start off. We'll go through the episode. Um, really, there were only kind of two plot lines here, the, the sock hop and then the Jughead Ethel comic book sort of adventure. So let's get into it. But we're going to start with a Jughead voiceover that we are still getting despite the fact that this Jughead 
as of yet is not a writer. I mean, he kind of is in this episode, but we don't have the frame of Jughead pretending to write a book or whatever it is that he was doing from seasons one through six. So he says, the popularity and cultural impact of comic books in our time cannot be overstated. Superheroes were out, horror and crime comics were in, and me and my friends were obsessed. Which we we don't really see. It's just him and Ethel. Uh, I think my biggest disappointment with him and this timeline so far has been our Jughead and Archie friends. Like this was this was our chance. You're rewriting the story. You're bringing everybody back together. This is our chance to actually see a comic book version of Archie and Jughead where they are friends. <laughs> you know, like at least in this version, we don't have to pretend that Betty and Veronica are friends yet because she's new. They don't have a reason to be friends yet. It'd be interesting if we if we get that story of the two of them. I kind of doubt it considering we're getting this sort of like love triangle thing going, but but that's actually more comic book uh, relevant. But this was our chance to get an Archie Comics version of Jughead, and we don't get it. Uh, Jughead is almost instantly back to where he was circa seasons one through four of Riverdale, where he is a writer, loner, uh, he's friends with Ethel. Um, now that part I will say is comic book uh, relevant. We, you know, this came up in, oh my gosh, was it season four? season three I think it was more season three it was the whole Griffins and Gargoyles plot when Ethel uh, told Betty about her crush on Jughead which is from the comic books so that that part checks out but we're we're not getting the Jughead eating a lot uh, you know hanging out with Archie like we're not really getting any of that side of Jughead it's it's just more of the more of the sort of dark Riverdale side which is kind of a shame because even if we are going to end up there eventually at the point when his mind gets erased it would have been nice to, I don't know, get a little bit of a Jughead reboot. But uh, but my, my main quibble with all of this is the fact that he's he's not mixed in with the rest of the story. And so he's just kind of by himself. Even when he goes to the dance at the end, we don't see him say anything to any of the others. And look, I'll try to stop beating this drum. I understand that maybe, maybe based on the way that things worked out with the actors, we're never going to get Bughead. And that's fine. You know what? I It's okay. I can, I can uh, give, take my own advice and go back and rewatch the first couple seasons if I want to see that. I think it's unfortunate because I like I like stories to have like a clear picture, a start to end, you know, something that, that relates. And I think it's very weird to have a seven season show where the first four seasons are so heavy that Jughead and Betty are this end game destiny, you know, destined to be together couple and that we just never circle back to it. Uh, I don't know. It just feels, it feels like a weird ending. Um, I'm almost thinking at this point that we're just going to get Jughead and Tabitha together at the end. Maybe, or maybe there's no more Tabitha in the show, which would be really sad because she was such a huge part of, of season uh, six that I would, I, in, and season five that it would be a big shame to not have her at all in, in season seven. Um, unless she's already off doing doing bigger and better things, then congrats to the actress. Uh, but but yeah, he's just, uh, it, it's just odd that he, he doesn't have any interactions with any of the other characters. So I don't know. We'll get more to that uh, in the end. Uh, I'll circle back to his plot line. But so the main portion of the episode is all about the sock hop. So a sock hop or a socks hop 
or also called a record hop or just a hop, was an informal sponsored dance event for teenagers in the mid 20th century North America featuring music. And the idea was that uh, kids would come and usually dance on their gym floor in their socks, take their shoes off. Originally, they were held as early as 1944 by the Junior Red Cross in order to raise funds for World War II. And then they became a fad among American teenagers in the 19 late 1940s, like around 1948. The reasons that people would take off their shoes is because the hard-soled shoes could damage the gymnasium or cafeteria, and so they removed the shoes in order to protect the varnish on the floors. I feel like sock hops are something you hear a lot about when you watch any kind of like 50s content, but are not something that I really had ever looked into the reasons behind. I also think that sometimes they'll call them sock hops, but they're not actually in their socks. They're just wearing their shoes as well. They're just dances. I also appreciated that all throughout this episode, we still got the classic Riverdale references that all the characters are making to various pop culture things, but that they're all pop culture that would have been relevant at the time. Uh, That's kind of fun. You know, you get references to Troy Donahue and uh, Peggy Sue and things like that. So I thought that was kind of fun. So Cheryl announces on the morning announcements that the sock hop is coming up and Kevin and the crooners are going to be headlining. We never find out who the crooners are, so I don't know if it's just Kevin, but Kevin's band is going to be playing. Archie asks Veronica to the dance and she's like, oh, well, only if you can dance, so you'll have to give me a trial run and prove to me that you can dance. Just, uh, just, I cannot imagine actually saying that to anyone, but oh, to have Veronica's confidence. Tony and Cheryl are going to have several moments throughout this episode, but the first one is when Cheryl's trying to sell tickets, and that's actually when Tony calls Cheryl a Peggy Sue. Now, I don't know if this was just sort of like a cute play on like, I'm just saying a kind of generic term, um, but like, like, oh, oh, Sally Sue, like that kind of thing. Uh, but a Peggy Sue actually is a, a title given to fictional characters, usually uh, characters at the end of a story or series um, who have a chance to go back and relive your life with the knowledge that you gained from living through the story the first time. And I think that that is an interesting idea for Cheryl's arc in Riverdale, right? Like that she would have the chance to go and live this different life than her character would have done in the 50s based on a sort of modern day knowledge. I don't know if that's really what they're going for here, but but I think that if she just wanted to to say a made up name, I don't think that she would have said Peggy Sue unless the writers wanted to reference the trope. So I thought that was kind of interesting and an intriguing idea of uh, having this almost like time travel influence sort of on the character when that's literally what the show's about here at this point. But Tony doesn't want to go to the dance. She wants to get Fangs to perform. Apparently he's a great singer. And Cheryl's like, nope, sorry, he can't perform at the dance because we've already got Kevin and the crooners. Now, I don't understand why it seems to never get brought up. Like, can't they both perform? Maybe not together, but like they could do sets back and forth. I feel like most of the dances that I've been to that had live music also had a a DJ so that the live band could take some time off, take a little break. So I don't know why they couldn't just do that, but that never gets brought up. Uh, Maybe the idea is that neither Kevin nor Fangs wanted to take turns. Uh, We're going to see later that Fangs has like a pretty elaborate like backdrop for himself and a whole band. Maybe it'd be too complicated. Maybe the school only has money to pay one of them. I wasn't even sure that either of them were getting paid. So I don't know. I also don't really know why Fangs needs to perform here when he has like another location where 
he's performing. I mean, that's not to say that like someone couldn't want to break out to a bigger crowd, but it I, it was just like an interesting plot point. We never hear from Fangs why he wants to perform. We also aren't going to hear from Kevin when he's told that he can't. Like we we don't we don't get his reaction to that, which I thought was even more odd because everything we've seen from present day Kevin is that he would be extremely upset by that. We've seen that the times in the past, like with the whole Hedwig episode, how he responds to someone is telling him that he can't perform. I know that was obviously different and had a lot more uh, meetings as well, deeper meanings than in this case. But this Kevin just seems to be a bit more of a pushover. But most of the characters do at this point. They're they're just good 50s children. So I also want to point out that I was correct in the first episode. We do see sitting next to Cheryl. Uh, she doesn't get any lines, but Midge is back. Uh, I They mention Midge a couple times. Archie's going to mention stepping on Midge's toes at one point. And, uh, but, the, but Midge never gets actually any lines up to this point in the show. Um, I did look it up. So the uh, actress who played Midge in the first couple seasons name was Amelia Barnack. And this is a new actress named Abby Ross. Um, I will say that they look relatively similar. If you put pictures of them next to each other, you can tell it's a different actress. But I, I could believe that just by watching the show, you wouldn't have even noticed that it was someone new because they're both wearing probably the same Midge wig. Um, and both actresses just have a sort of similar round pale face. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's cool to have it's cool to have Midge back, even if she doesn't end up being a big character, but just to fill in sort of the background of of people who were were in the comic books. Um, it does make me wonder why we haven't seen like, I don't know, Chuck Clayton back. If you're if you're OK recasting people, why not just fill fill all the backgrounds? I mean, I guess I guess you could just assume like someone in the background like, oh, that's Chuck or whoever um, from from the first couple seasons. I mostly mentioned him because he's really one of the only people from season one who we haven't seen a, a 50s version of. Um, him and Reggie, and I'm assuming because Reggie was called out by name that we will eventually get Reggie, but haven't haven't seen that yet, so not sure. Betty's going to teach Archie how to dance, uh, which he, he's just got zero rhythm. I would I would love to hear what Kirsten's thoughts on Archie's zero rhythm are, but I can assume that she would just say, ah, it was Archie's skip. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, it was, oh, that was hard to watch. I don't know if this is some sort of like play on the fact that Archie had so much musical talent. I don't know if we really ever see him dance dance in the present day. I mean, he goes to dances, but it's a little different. Um, they have a moment until Alice comes in and breaks it up when they're slow dancing and I, yeah I would just say honestly can't believe any of these kids are getting away with not just having boys in their bedroom but with the door closed like at least keep the door open I was not allowed to have my door closed then we have a scene of make out point I'm calling it that I don't actually know that it's called that on this show explicitly but that's what it is and uh, Cheryl is just going around knocking on cars and trying to sell more tickets which is just takes some real guts like who knows what you could be seeing she busts midge with fangs which is interesting oh yeah no moose either i mentioned uh chuck before but no moose so maybe i don't know if we're gonna get any of him probably not betty wants to kiss kevin and he calls her a sex maniac so she storms off um she says that she just wanted to go just wants to go steady with him he needs to pin her now so giving someone your pin was an old tradition uh that also extended into college and 
pin would be a thing like where someone would give you your fraternity pin. But in this case, it's referring to uh, it could be like like Betty and Kevin are going to mention uh, like a varsity pin or, or just some sort of pin that a, a guy would have. And that by pinning it on his girl, much like wearing, letting them wear your letterman jacket or whatever, uh, is a sign that you are officially dating, you're going steady. And in some circles, as Betty mentions here, when she talks about a ring, it's also just sort of a promise, future promise, uh, like a promise ring, <laughs> uh, which I think is uh, probably the closest thing we'd have to that now, but that's even more serious, really. Uh, but mostly just a promise that you're going to be together, like a pre-pre-engagement. Um, but Kevin does not handle this particularly well. I think it's at least good that Betty can see that Ke- there's something going on where Kevin seems uninterested in her, uninterested in kissing her, not wanting to really go steady and, and solidify that. So she gets upset, says she won't cheer him on at the sock op, and storms off. Side note, now that we're talking about Kevin some more, I would like to give a congrats to Casey and Nicola Cott, who are expecting their first child. So congrats to them. Then we have a scene of Clay Walker and Kevin. Uh, we knew from the sort of coming up on the season excerpts that we'd get that Clay Walker is going to be a bigger character here. And there's definitely some interest sort of floating around between the two of them. Definitely a little bit more directly from Clay, but we know that the Kevin's probably interested as well. Uh, Clay says that he transferred this year. I'm assuming this is the beginning of the school year. Uh, it's a little confusing, but I'm, I'm assuming it's the beginning of the school year. So he hasn't been there for that long. Said his dad, he says, my dad is in, and then he said was in the military. So I don't know if that means that his dad just is no longer in the military and that's why they're here or his dad uh, passed away in the military. Unclear. Maybe we'll get more on Clay later. Clay asks Kevin who he should ask to the sock hop and Kevin says a lot of people go single or go stag. I don't know if this is because Kevin just doesn't want to suggest someone, doesn't know who's single, who would be available, or if he purposely doesn't want Clay to go with anyone. Not really sure. Could be either. You know, I, I I appreciate this being in here though, because I think I think Clay is shaping up to be a an interesting character. Um it's it's curious that they are exploring these new characters like Clay instead of doing something like I said, where having uh previous characters sort of fill in, um, like where we don't have, you know, for example, Fangs and um and Kevin being explored, even though that's a relationship from the present time. Although we we are getting Tony and Cheryl, so there's that. So Veronica tells Archie that she's entertaining other offers to the dance as well, in addition to his own, and uh, that she wants him to also prove to her that not just that he's a good dancer, but he's also good at conversing about various topics like politics and blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Um, I don't, like, why does Archie like Veronica? Is he just liking her because she's beautiful? Is it because she's a shiny new toy? Like, this this is something that I think is a little bit better handled in the original version of Riverdale season one, because she also seems to have kind of an intriguing personality, whereas right now she just kind of seems rude, which his mom's going to call out, so maybe he'll start seeing it more this way. But Betty is very excited about the fact that Veronica is able to seemingly control all the men around her. So she asks Veronica for some tips on confidence, and Veronica tells Betty to just ask someone else to the dance to make Kevin jealous. I don't really know if that would work or not. 
not. Probably not. But yeah, you know, I was like, I guess those. I guess that was good advice. I I don't know. The whole like jealousy thing. I think the problem here is that as we'll see later, Betty doesn't really care about making Kevin jealous. I think she starts to just realize maybe she just wants someone else. Meh. Would be kind of interesting to hear from Betty's perspective what it is that she likes about Kevin, why her and Kevin are dating, how they got together, but we don't really get any of that. So we find out in the Cheryl plot line that some people have not only been not buying tickets to the dance, but are actually returning their tickets. Uh, Dilton Doily, who this one I thought was very interesting, I already mentioned the Midge actress change, but Dilton Doily was being played by Major Curta in seasons one through... I can't remember when he, when his character died. Season three, season four, somewhere around there. Um, but is now being played by Daniel Yang, which the interesting fact of this is Daniel Yang was the actor who played Dilton Doily in the pilot. So I haven't done the research on that to figure out why he only played him in the pilot and then ha- wasn't him throughout the rest of the first season, but uh, he's back. So that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. So the serpents are <laughs> saying that they're going to throw rotten eggs on anyone who's going to the dance because Fangs isn't playing. And uh, <laughs> that's why people are returning their tickets. Pretty funny idea here. Again, I don't really know like why does Fangs need to be the performer here? I guess it's just more of the principled thing. But it is funny to again think like this is a biker gang where the most they're threatening is to throw rotten eggs on children. You know, uh, we had so many conversations throughout all the seasons about what happened to all the adult serpents. And I'm just not even going to get into it right now because who knows? Maybe there's no adult serpents in this timeline. Maybe it's just a, a children spiker gang again some things that i just don't know that they really check out with the timeline like in the 50s would it have been just accepted that there are female members of a biker gang and that that's not something anyone questions i don't know sometimes they just kind of call them greasers so maybe it's just more of like a pink ladies t-birds kind of situation so cheryl decides to go to war with tony over this because she's sure that she's the one behind it dilton says tony is the one who's threatening everyone meanwhile archie goes and talks to his mom she's giving him his dad's suit to wear to the dance and he's like yeah not only do I need it for the dance I also need it because I have to go over to Veronica's apartment tonight and uh, impress her with conversation as well and uh, you can tell that Molly Ringwald is not the biggest fan of Veronica she doesn't like the idea that she's giving him a test run she's like back in my day you just asked somebody to the dance like when your dad asked me and he wrote me a cute poem so Archie gets this idea that maybe he should write Veronica a poem and Betty reads Archie's poem she tells him that he has a poet soul and this is where Betty is discovering even more of her passions for Archie or maybe just I don't know boys in general hard to tell so Cheryl's gonna go to the dark room which we can only presume is below Pops and this is the same room that has been the Le Bon Wee and the White Worm and it's a uh, it's a coffee house for bikers beatniks and badasses <laughs> And presumably Cheryl and Tony are going to talk and get closer uh, together and listen to Fang's performance, but we don't actually see any of that. Instead, we're going to see Archie going to Veronica's apartment and all of the other suitors who are there. Everyone's talking about a lot of topics that Archie clearly does not have any knowledge of or interest in. Uh, I guess it's understandable that Julian would have some knowledge of like politics and painters and things like that, but even then I'm just not 100% sure. I mean, he's wealthy, but like... I don't know that we get the feeling that Cheryl and Jason are like, there's a difference between being wealthy and being knowledgeable of like, quote unquote, high class topics when you're a teenager. 
here. I, we just don't know enough about this version of the Blossoms to really say that this would be likely, but Archie's very uncomfortable, it's clear, and uh, Julian's gonna end up making a crack about Archie's dad and being buried in a suit and versus his uniform, and it's all not great, and so Archie's going to get, have a tense moment with Julian and then storm out and ends up throwing the poem on the ground. Uh, later, we're gonna hear Archie say that he was going to beat Julian up or something, so uh, there goes our hopes for having a non-violent Archie, unless the joke there was that, oh, this is so out of character for Archie. It must have been so bad what Julian said. I don't know. It's also a little bit confusing because I kind of felt like we spent the first episode of this season having the whole Julian versus Archie thing with Veronica picking Archie at the end. And uh, now we're just like back to square one on all of this. I don't know. Betty's going to talk with her mom about some weird feelings that she's having for Archie, some stirrings. And uh, honestly, props to you, Betty, for having this open conversation with your mom. I mean, not great that you don't have any better words for it than that, but okay, cool. Uh, way to be open. And uh, her mom says, eh, are you sure that those feelings aren't just you feeling unappreciated by Kevin? This was an interesting conversation because I'm confused about like what, what is, what is Alice's angle here? Like this isn't, you know, season two Jughead. This is, this is Archie, the boy next door, whose mom, it seems like maybe you're friends with because you're chaperoning together. Like, I'm just not sure. We don't know in this version of the story, are Archie and Betty close childhood friends? Would Alice have a reason to not want Betty to be with Archie? Uh, does, why does her mom want to push her towards being with Kevin? Does her mom know that Kevin might not actually be interested in Betty in that way? And that's why she wants them together because maybe that'll keep sexual things from happening. I mean, that's like pretty, pretty big brained, uh, but maybe, maybe that's how Alice feels. Like, it, do it doesn't feel like Alice is pushing Betty away from exploring sexual feelings. It's like she just wants her to explore those with Kevin. I mean, I'll get some more thoughts about this when I get to the, the next scene with Alice and Kevin, but uh, this is, it's just like an interesting thought that I was having while watching this was just confusion on what what it is that Alice wants from Betty. Ethel's then gonna ask Jughead to go to the dance with her, and he says, oh, oh, like just for kicks? And she's like, um... Yeah, I guess. So clearly he is not picking up on anything that she's putting down. Uh, you know, Hannah did predict that maybe this season we are going to get the more asexual version of Jughead that Nicole Sprouse originally wanted for the character. Maybe we're going to get that. I think that if we're ever going to see that, now's the time. Um, unclear of whether or not Jughead is uninterested in Ethel or just uninterested in, in people in general. Um, kind of feels more like it's not an Ethel thing, that it's just sort of in general. Uh, in this timeline yeah it seems like Jughead and Ethel are now all of a sudden really good friends so eh, cool whatever Veronica and Molly Ringwald are going to have a conversation uh Mary Andrews will call Veronica out about auditioning the boys and saying that Veronica is the real villainess here uh when Veronica comes to apologize to Archie and yeah go go uh go Mary Andrews real big fan here like this is this is what we need from more parents like I you know I thought about this when I was in like high school and dating and stuff and I was thinking like sometimes I was mad that I felt like my parents weren't involved enough in my dating life like 
my dad was never the type to like, oh, let me sit the boys down and like talk to them. You know, I, I know I've mentioned this many times on the podcast. Like he's the type to say, oh, here, like, you know, let me teach you how to juggle or something like. And that's sort of his way of like testing them. But I, I don't even know if I could say that's his way of testing them because he literally would do that with anyone who ever came over to my house, whether or not it was a romantic interest or a friend or someone I've never met. So I, I yeah, I just I thought like, oh, it'd be interesting to have, you know, if, if someone if someone was mean to me or you know if someone broke up with me it's like you almost want your parent to like storm over to their house and like tell them off but uh that was not the case that I had but I guess I guess uh, (laughs) Mary Andrews has like much more of a a reason to do that because Veronica has literally walked over to her house so it's not like she went after Veronica she was presented with the opportunity Uh, she also calls Veronica femme fatale which I think is mostly fun because that is how I believe Jughead refers to Veronica that way in the pilot or the second episode it's it's in a jughead voiceover really early on so just i like those little callbacks you know for once it's feeling like i don't want to say that like knock on wood it's feeling like the writers are taking a little bit of time with what they're actually writing and and maybe that's because you know the best riverdale was the 13 episode first season when they had a clear plot clear idea of what they were doing and maybe the fact that they know that they're ending the season here is going to allow them to wrap things up if they didn't know that the season was ending for sure I'd be more afraid that they wouldn't know how they were going to get everything wrapped up but that since they have that clear concrete end maybe we'll actually get some fully thought out ideas here okay this is when we get to the chat between Alice and Kevin that is just confusing so Alice asks about Kevin's and Betty's troubles I'm guessing I kind of missed it but I'm guessing she invited him over she also gives him some high point tea which I believe is also the tea she gives Betty in some of the early seasons so I feel like that's like just a thing that they like high point tea I don't really I don't even know what high point tea is let me look that up okay I've done some googling and I'm more confused <laughs> so six years ago posted on the Riverdale reddit someone asks what is a high point they talk about it a couple times on the show when Kevin brought his father the drink I assumed it was Riverdale's version of a high life but then Betty's mom brought her one with some tea so dot 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 and the answer that I've been able to find on wikipedia is that it was a type of instant decaffeinated coffee marketed by folger and it was introduced in 1975 and then popular in the 80s uh and i think possibly the 90s um yeah it was discontinued in 1993 this makes no sense on any of riverdale i guess it would maybe make a little a little sense in the earlier seasons but like it was discontinued by then but we also know that there's been a lot of Riverdale early season stuff that's like why are they driving cars that didn't exist at the time I could have sworn that high point was a tea so but I googling high point tea does not get you much which is weird um I found a Facebook page called High Point Tea, uh, which also makes candles, so that's not helpful. Um, High Point Coffee Roasters Green Tea Archives. Uh, So there's that. I don't know if that's just a brand. I could have sworn High Point was a type of tea. Um, Maybe I just always had that in my mind. So honestly, more confused now. I thought it clearly looked like tea or maybe coffee, but it wouldn't have been around in the 50s based on everything I read. So this might just be a 
new mystery. Let me know if you figure out what possible other meaning there could be to High Point. So Alice is going to tell Kevin, basically, all Betty wants is a pin. She says the pin will take the pressure off, so he won't have to do much more than just carry her books and call her in the evenings and ask her to the dances. And that's all she wants. She just wants the reassurance. And I think that this, like, could be possibly true. Alice says, like, her father, or Betty's father, gave Alice his pin, and then all the pressure went off, and that's all she wanted. Everything was great. All of those potential stirrings went away after that point. I don't know if this is just Alice saying that or if that's true. If it is true, that's kind of sad, but like this doesn't seem to solve anything. So I really don't know what the angle here is. Like, I don't know if this is Alice trying to trick Betty and, and uh, Kevin in some way. It, it mostly, the reason I'm mostly confused is it seems like she's fine with Betty having a boyfriend. She's not like a hovering mom, uh, like we saw more of in the early seasons about her not wanting Betty to even have a boyfriend, um, you know, especially being particular over the, who that is. It seems like she's fine with her dating Kevin. So unless she's sure that somehow Betty isn't going to be sexually interested or that knows that Kevin isn't um, and is trying to put a stop to that, it seems like she would have just told Betty not to date. So I don't really know what she thinks is going to happen here. Then we see that Cheryl has agreed to let Fangs play at the dance and Tony is getting more and more students to buy tickets using partially scare tactics. She gets Dilton Doily to buy five. That's just ridiculous. Who's he gonna? Does he have five friends? Probably not. Again, we don't see Cheryl telling Kevin that he can't play, so kind of bummed about that one. Veronica and Archie apologize to each other. Veronica says she isn't going to the dance with anyone, and Archie calls her out, rightfully so, because he's been taking after his mom, and calls her out about all the hoops that he had to jump through. And she says it was all just a game so that the queen bee could get the boys a buzz before, but then drop them before anyone gets stung too badly. I think also this is probably her just not wanting to admit that she actually had potential feelings for Archie uh, or that she just feels like she doesn't deserve them. But I think the person that she was hoping doesn't get stung too badly is probably actually herself. It's a metaphor for herself not wanting to get stung too badly by feelings. Veronica then tells Betty that she's going to the dance alone. Uh, when Betty asks about the poem that Archie gave her, Veronica says, what poem? Never got one. And then says that whoever Archie goes to the dance with will be super lucky. And you can tell that Betty wants to go ask Archie. So she's walking towards him, about to ask him to the dance. And then Kevin pulls her aside, apologizes to her and uh, gives her the pin. And she looks like she's about to say no, but then he says things will be different this time, asks her to the sock hop and asks her to be steady. And she says yes. And they have a, a cute kiss, I guess. It's, it's just so confusing because it doesn't seem like either of them want to be in this relationship at this point. So I don't know. Smithers, who shows back up because I guess this man has nothing else to do but be on Riverdale, gives Veronica Archie's poem that he found in the trash. Smithers, why are you looking through the trash? What are you doing? I mean, I am a curious person. So if I see a folded or rolled up piece of paper on the ground, I might look at it because I'm always hoping that it might be something interesting. And maybe Smithers is just a man like me, just has that same little bit of curiosity. You know, I guess I guess I can get behind that. All right, then we get to the end of the episode. Everybody's at the sock hop. Clay's going to tell Kevin that he is easy on the eyes and uh, says he's really bummed that he doesn't get to hear Kevin sing and asks for a private concert sometime. Clay is being very forward. Um, I don't hate this, but uh, Kevin's definitely a little bit thrown off by it. Fangs is going to perform Tutti Frutti. Uh, he does a pretty good job. I mean, it's fine. I, I think it's interesting that how many characters on this show have become singers. Like Drew Tanner, who plays Fangs, 
Fangs on the show is, I believe, also a singer. I think he's released some music as well. So I think that he probably wanted to have a little bit more of a singing role on the show. So that's cool that other people are getting, uh, you know, this this gig and it's not just Veronica and Kevin all the time singing now that we don't have Josie and the Pussycats. Cheryl and Tony dance together. I like that they're both wearing versions of red dresses. That's kind of fun. Uh, Featherhead is not a fan of this. Um, the, the thing that I think is a little bit like... Mm, is like Cheryl and, and Tony are just dancing kind of next to each other like any two girls who don't have dates would like maybe maybe back in the sock hop days girls wouldn't just go as friends and dance together but I feel like that seems like that would be pretty normal so I d- it didn't feel like they were doing anything that would necessarily seem romantic I'm like we know that those hints are probably there but from like a featherhead perspective I'm not sure how he would have seen that it, it just didn't really come across to me but I don't know Maybe he's got an eagle eye. Fangs is going to play the song Only You. Veronica thanks Archie for the poem and asks him for a do-over and to dance. Uh, he declines and then goes and dances with his mom. So uh, that was that was fun. Go his mom. Um, Julian then asks Veronica Dan- to dance. And it did make me laugh when he's like, come on, you know you could do a lot worse. Uh, yeah, probably. So that, that, was, that was funny. Uh, another time that I would love to hear Kirsten's thoughts on if she thinks that, that Julian is worse than Archie or not. Uh, who? Wow. Yeah, I would love to know that. Kirsten, tweet at me. Tell me if you if you are more Team Archie or Team Julian. If you have to pick. Oh gosh. We see some kids sitting on the bleachers, and I think it's pretty funny that you see Tony just blatantly drinking from a paper bag. Like, come on, Eagle Eye Featherhead can see two girls dancing together and think that it's something more, but uh, doesn't notice that. Come on. Then Featherhead is super weird and creepy. Comes up behind Cheryl and says, "Ah, boys and girls dancing in a chaste harmony." as God intended. And she's like, mm, yep, uh, n- nothing would be better than that or something. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just like really weird that a teacher would come say that to you. But I guess it's the 50s. All right. And that's the end of the dance. Uh, really weird that we don't really see a whole lot of Jughead at the dance. Obviously, there's one pivotal scene, which I'll get to in a minute. But uh, Jughead's there, doesn't interact with anyone, not his supposed best friend or any of the other people. So, oh man, I'm, I, I, will be disappointed if he is going to remain in his own plot lines throughout the rest of the show. That's just going to be really unfortunate. Speaking of his own plot lines, the Jughead plotline this episode. Jughead wrote a story that he submitted to Pep Comics and they declined him, but then he sees the story that he wrote, or at least a similar version of it, in a Pep Comics and he believes they stole it. So he goes down to the office to meet Mr. Fieldstone and it's funny that it's very clearly the same building as the FBI office so I guess that tells us what the FBI FBI office used to be. It used to be Pep Comics. Jughead confronts Mr. Fieldstone and Mr. Fieldstone's like, dude, you're not that original. No ideas are original. I'm sure that the comic that we wrote is just similar to yours and lots of other potential comics. Uh, We don't have time to go through all the submissions anyway. Uh, We just need someone here writing it. And he's like, wait, you need a writer? Well, I'll do it. And he's like, all right, write me a story and we'll see how it goes. So Jughead writes a story and Ethel is going to draw the frames for it has something to do with zombies, I think, 
which is probably a reference to, I think it's called Afterlife with Archie, which is the Archie Comics zombie kind of crossover. Yeah, that was a comic book published by Archie Comics beginning in 2013, depicting a zombie apocalypse that begins in the town of Riverdale in an alternate reality. Uh, And I know a lot of that is sort of what people point to when they think about like Rivervale or even Riverdale as a whole, the TV show, maybe being inspired by Afterlife with Archie Comics. I also do want to call out here, Pep Comics is the name of the Archie comic book anthology series published by the Archie Comics predecessor MLJ Magazine, commonly known as MLJ Comics, during the 1930s and 1940s, and that time was known as the Golden Age of Comic Books. That title continued under Archie Comics imprint for a total of 411 issues until 1987. So that's kind of cool that they actually use a real comic book series name as the company here. I don't think that's really a close one no cigar, but more just like a Archie Comics reference. Um, gotta say I didn't catch any close with no cigars in this episode, so if you caught any, please let me know. When Jughead submits the story, Mr. Fieldstone is gonna say, it's clunky, pretentious, and too much dialogue, but it will do, uh, which is definitely everything that the Riverdale writers writing for Jughead are basically doing. Clunky, pretentious, with too much dialogue. Uh, just go ahead and <laughs> put that description right before every Jughead voiceover, basically. He's hired at $1 a page, which sounds pretty good for the time, so not too bad. Dr. Werthers, who is this child psychologist at the school and Principal Featherhead, call Ethel out on her creepy drawings that she was doing during Dr. Doily's class, and she gets a week's detention, to which I say, girl, just draw in detention. I mean, maybe the idea is that she can't make, she can't make detention in order to go to her meeting with the comic book people, but like, not really on Ethel's side on this one, because why did you say that you could get a certain number of drawings done in a, you know, in a day or whatever it was if you couldn't and you can't draw during class like again I'm just not on her side but it's fine Uh, the drawings are really good though even though they are definitely kind of creepy Dr. Werther's is like "Mm, maybe we need to tell her parents because it seems like the work she's doing is pretty disturbing Um, there's like a little bit of hinting around like also a girl shouldn't be doing this and I don't know if that's gonna really be a whole plot line like when Ethel skips detention and shows the drawings to Fieldstone he is like oh they're so good I can't believe they were done by a woman, but like I don't really, I think that was kind of, that reference is all we're going to get about that. Um, he calls her Freckles and Jughead Boy Wonder, and so, okay, whatever. There's a really awkward moment when he's like, are you two dating? And Jughead's like, no, we're just friends. And then Ethel says, but we are going to the sock hop together. Like, why are you telling this random guy about your teenage business? This is, this is it, that, that was a very clunky line to me. Clunky and pretentious. No, just mostly clunky. So presumably Werther's goes to Ethel's parents and tells them about her behavior. I mean, at the very least, definitely tell her that she skipped attention. That's, that makes sense. Ethel's parents yell at her when she gets home. She yells back about her mom's drinking and her dad being miserable and slams the door and said that she's going to the sock hop with Jughead. And then at the end of the episode, she enters the sock hop covered in blood, falls down and tells Jughead something terrible has happened. Now, it is unclear if this is her blood or not her blood. My guess is that she has murdered her parents, potentially. I think that we have three possible outcomes here. Either her parents tried to attack her and it's her blood. Kind of doubt that because she kind of seemed okay. Uh, more so in shock than anything else. Um, like, I don't know... <sighs> 
I, I don't know. Uh, another possibility, she got in a fight with her parents and whether in self-defense or not, murdered at least one of her parents. Third option, there are zombies in this world and that has that has somehow become a thing. Either way, they're clearly trying to go ahead and uh, bring some darkness into Riverdale. So yeah, uh, maybe maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's what we're doing. Like we're just we're just rebooting the whole gritty dark Riverdale, but just in the 50s. I kind of sad about that because I thought it was going to be just like, oh, cheerful and happy. Um, but you know, can't have a good thing for for long. Uh, I, I, I will say though, so spoilers for the next like minute, if you don't want to hear it about the promo for the next episode, if you haven't watched that promo for episode three centers solely around uh, the conversations of kissing. And as uh, Veronica is going to say, S-E-X, and there are no sightings of Jughead or Ethel. So either they will remain in their own plot line or whatever this is, isn't that important because the rest of the cast seems to be in a uh, much more frivolous plot line. So yeah, that was episode two and I'm still enjoying it. Like I'm never going to not enjoy Riverdale. Even when Riverdale is bad, I still have fun. You know, I might be the only one out here, but that's okay. Look, I'm, I'm out here doing a podcast that's just myself recapping an episode of Riverdale and my thoughts on it. So who is this for if not just me? The title, Skip Hop and a Thump. Um, I, I'm, I'm gonna say, I feel like I failed on this one. I cannot figure out what this is in reference to. The closest I could think of, which is what I first saw when you read Skip, Hop, and Thump, is, is this a weird play on hop, skip, and jump? If it is, why did they mix up the order of the words? Like, if the play is going to be on changing jump to thump, what? Okay, let me, let me think. Skip? I don't know. Hop could be sock hop, and then thump could be the whole ending with Ethel, but I don't know. If we're going to just assume that it's based on hop, skip, and a jump, hop, hop, skip, and a jump just means a short distance, like, oh, the refrigerator is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from the kitchen table. I, I don't know. I, I really, I can't, can't tell you about this one. So if it is based on some sort of property, um, I don't know. I don't know why it's so hard to find. If you Google skip, hop, and thump, all you get is Riverdale content. So uh, at least Riverdale is on the map. We had a couple people wondering if there was a close but no cigar last week having to do with someone whose name sounded a lot like Shirley Temple. Um, I think it was Tilly Temple, is that right? Who I think is the actress who was supposed to be playing the basically Veronica character in her parents' show, but the timeline doesn't really work out for that one. Uh, if it's supposed to be Shirley Temple, she would be too old, I believe. So I'm not 100% sure on that one. What Up Tim says, so is Riverdale just basically a completely different show now? I mean, it's fine, but it has nothing to do with the ongoing story. Yeah, uh, it seems like it kind of is just a whole new show, at least for the time being. I think if it is going to be a 13 episode season by episode 10 or 11, I would hope that maybe we're going to get some sort of change back to like other types of Riverdale. Mm, I don't know. I hope so. I think, I think we kind of have to think about it being basically like a whole new show for the moment, but I, I don't think that we're going to like end in this timeline and never circle back to anything else. For the most normal person of the week, I've got to give this one to Mary Andrews. I think all around she uh, told Archie her honest feelings about Veronica, called Veronica out for what she was doing uh, to her face, and then uh, gets to dance with her son at the dance. So I feel like that was some some normal good mom behavior. 
behavior. Alice, on the other hand, I have no clue what she's doing over there as being a mom, and uh, Ethel's mom does not seem great either. So I'm gonna go with Mary Andrews on this one. All right, everyone. I know that was a little short. I know that was a little uh, more straightforward than normal, but you know what? I'm nothing if not a completionist. So we will be covering these episodes, whether it's just me or uh, anybody else. So hopefully Kirsten will be back next time and can give us all her thoughts on this episode, sock hopping around, and uh, also everything from next episode, which if you've seen the promo, looks like it's going to be interesting. So I'm sure we will get a lot of thoughts on that one. That's all for this time. Thank you for joining me. I'll be back for next week's episode for episode three. Until then, you can follow me online everywhere at Frail Mary on every platform. If you're interested, you can check out some of the other podcasts we do over here on KowskiCast.com. That's cow with a K. And you can follow Kirsten everywhere at Kirsten Said What and check out everything she's doing with Mess Magnets, covering Tuca and Birdie over on BoJack Horse Pod with Lindsay Wilson. And, and follow both of us for all of our work that we are doing for Big Brother Canada 11, Survivor 44, and anything else that you can check out over on Twitter. You can also check out right now myself on the reality TV wrap-ups with Asia Welch covering Love is Blind season four. So, so much to cover right now. Really hitting that spring TV season. And uh, let me think, anything else that's kind of kind of fun? I am re-watching Outer Banks from the very beginning at the moment. I am also watching Ted Lasso for the first time. So if you want my thoughts on that, uh, I'll say right now, spoiler free, loved season one, season two. Uh, mm, I'm not going to say it let me down because I predicted a lot of the things that were going to happen in it, but uh, definitely not as, not quite as feel good as season one, which is really what I was loving about that first season. So for, for one of the first times ever, it feels like a show that I could see myself go back and just rewatch season one in the future and not anything else. But I'll have to see how season three goes to see if it brings it all home. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Until next time.